0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller.
1: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg
0: Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Let's talk about this wall of worry. We've got interest rates uh, rising. We've got inflation. We've got the economy that is slowing. What? is a money manager to do? What is a uh, portfolio manager to do? Let's check in with Tom Mantione. He's managing director for UBS Wealth Management. Tom, what are you telling your clients here, uh, given some of those challenges, those headwinds, uh, including geopolitical issues that are facing investors these days?
2: Other than going to get a stake at Keynes? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, look, I, I, the market's probably overreacting to, to tensions in – in Russia and the Ukraine. It's apt to do that. I think you need to look past this. Where are we going to be in two years, five years, seven years? Um, If people need to do something and feel like they have to take action, I'm not sure safe haven treasuries are the place to be right now on the front end of a Fed tightening cycle. So maybe commodity exposure or energy might be a better way to hedge anybody's fears of escalating tensions in in Russia.
1: I wonder about your thoughts on energy, because You know, this run up hasn't been entirely driven by Russia, Ukraine. Mm -hmm. We were already on the way up. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, assuming that Putin just takes a couple of states and people get kind of angry but do nothing about it, what happens after everything calms down? Is there still support for oil at $90 a barrel?
2: Well, clearly the the global economy is growing. And as— uh, the pandemic recedes and things open up and people start moving around again, yes, there's going to be more demand for, for energy. So there could be support uh, for a higher price of oil for, for longer. I think the risk here is that that you, know, you get to 120 or $150 a barrel of oil, and that, that will take a, a chunk out of global demand. So um, that is the, the tail risk in this scenario, I would, I would say.
0: Tom, what's the, the biggest question or the most common question, the most common concern you hear from your clients?
2: Uh, I, think, I think, you know, before the Ukraine-Russia, it's the Fed – and the Fed's been, yep. been 100% the top of everybody's mind, what are they going to do? Is it 50 basis points? Is it four hikes? Is it six hikes? Is it more than six hikes? I think the market's probably overreacted to that as well. I think um, you know, the Fed has consistently been slow and steady, and I would not anticipate anything different than that. So, uh, I would expect a 25 basis point hike in March and that's what we've been telling our, our clients. And I think that, uh, it'll continue slow and steady from there. You
1: know, we're continually, continuously hearing, um, worries about earnings and analysts kind of downgrading their Mm -hmm. outlook. Um, the quants over at JP Morgan say, um, you know, this glut of earnings gloom signals trouble for the markets at the same time. Mm -hmm. JP Morgan's, uh, uh, chief, uh, their strategist Mislav Matejka, says um, stock pessimism is in vogue, but it's wrong. How do you how do you look at U.S. earnings, the U.S. corporate picture, and how that's going to affect stocks?
2: I think we're I think we're still in a in a growth mode for for U.S. corporate earnings for sure. Um, you had a report this morning; it was quite good. Um, I think the U.S. economy continues to show strength in the face of. Of inflationary pressures and quite frankly I think you know inflation will begin to subside you know for a host of reasons right comps get easier um, that's just mass but but more importantly as people spend on services and not goods, that'll that'll help um, some of that inflation data as well so uh, you know I, I, I'm I'm kind of unconcerned so uh, I'm on the I'm on the strategist side I think I'm constructive and bullish on US equities through the year so I would I would tell people, you know, take advantage of, of things you like here at this market right now and Tom, definitely get some capital to work.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, the, the Federal Reserve, we're looking at the WIRP function on the Bloomberg Terminal, uh, suggesting that the market's discounting seven rate hikes in calendar year 2022. <laughs> does that really bring yeah. t- to the fore the risk that this Fed overreacts and maybe does push this economy into a recession or at least, uh, you know, reset?
2: I think it's probably more indicative of the market overreacting to the Fed than the other way around. Uh, I, you know, it, it would it would certainly surprise me if we saw seven hikes um, uh, in 2022. Uh, it, that that seems a little aggressive, especially given the backdrop. Right. Um, you know, that if if we do get escalating tensions, if oil prices do get over 100 bucks a barrel, that's going to cool demand it's going to cool inflation it's going to cool demand for goods and services so i yeah i i i would go i would i would play the flip side of that coin for sure I all think, right I think definitely overreacted here
0: interesting all right we'll see how this plays out tom thanks much for joining us uh really appreciate getting your thoughts tom Mantione, managing director for ubs wealth management based up in stamford connecticut Let's get to our next guest straight away. R.J. Gallo, he's no stranger here, Senior Portfolio Manager at Federated Hermes. R.J., what are you telling your fixed-income portfolio managers at Federated Hermes uh, today?
3: We're still staying short. Um, The Russia-Ukraine developments have unfolded in a manner that you can't say it's too surprising, but um, it's it's hard to argue that it's over. Uh, I think the key right now is uh, further escalation in Russia-Ukraine grabs the markets by the collar and pulls them away from the inflation movie that we've been watching for obsessively for a while now. But uh, once we get past the, the most dramatic parts of Russia-Ukraine, we still have to focus on inflation. Uh, 7% is too high. If There are many paths that the Ukraine-Russia situation can follow, but uh, many of them involve aggravating the inflation problem. So inflation is still a major issue. Uh, as a result, on net, uh, we have, we're a little less short than we were, say, two weeks ago, but we still are materially short in our uh, duration call across the fixed-income franchise of Federated Hermes.
1: So where do you go to hide from inflation? What's, what's the safest place for your capital?
3: Well, bond managers hate inflation, right? It erodes the, the, the value of your fixed coupon. Uh, certainly consumers are worried about it. It's become a political issue. Within a fixed-income portfolio, uh, the ways to play defense, floating rate, Uh, take credit risk, reduce duration. Uh, Last year, we were heavily overweight tips in our total return bond fund. That was a huge win. Tips this year haven't been uh, quite as strong because it was basically pricing in the inflation surprise. You want to get in before the the inflation surprise is in the price. And then the Fed had to react by their massively hawkish 180, which drives real yields up and is now depressing tips returns. On a year-to-date basis, the the Bloomberg tips index is down... About three and a half percent.
0: We have a Bloomberg Tips Index. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. For sure. Why not? Why wouldn't we? U T
3: T R U U. If you have a terminal in front of you.
0: Oh, you're darn right. We do. (laughs) Um, All right. So it's interesting here, RJ. You know, one of the concerns I have is that the Fed is going to blow this. That they're going to be too aggressive. Maybe do 50 basis points in March, and then do maybe total seven or so. I think the market that that could be a problem for the market. Are you concerned about the Fed maybe overstepping? their bounds?
3: Um, I, I'm concerned that it, it could happen, but I do think uh, I'm often lo- almost a little surprised that we don't talk about this in the markets all that much. Uh, if you dust off your macroeconomics from grad school, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago for a lot of people, maybe more, uh, the, the role of expectations is, is fundamental. Uh, and the Fed now has to talk tough. They need to fuel expectations that they will maybe go too far. Why? Because that helps them from not having to go too far. If people are concerned that the Fed's going to tighten seven times and slow the economy and slow stocks, what happens? Financial conditions tighten. That's what the Fed wants. It could actually reduce the terminal Fed funds rate if the markets believe the Fed is going to be tough on inflation. It is in. That's their objective. Now, you don't hear Powell talking about it because he's, like, uh, he's not like a Ben Bernanke. He's not a macroeconomist who's all about shaping expectations. But that's the script they're following. Now is the time to talk tough on inflation. Even Neil Kashkari mm. uh, is, is somewhat become more hawkish than he was.
1: Whoa. <laughs> All right. I the, mean, how could you not? Yeah. There's no other direction for him to go, let's face no, it.
3: That's right. Now, I've argued today, I was talking to our head of risk management. I said, the Fed is not hawkish. The Fed is a hawk. Yep. And they're, they're talking like a hawk, and they're hunting inflation, and that serves their objective. It actually could reduce the level to which they have to hike rates if they right. weren't talking tough.
0: Yeah, I don't know what the Fed can do, though. I think it's a s- supply chain issue primarily, but we'll see. R.J. Gallo, senior portfolio manager for Federated Hermes University of Mission Undergrad. He's got an MPA from Princeton. He's, he's had a couple of economics classes. They're pretty they? good. They're pretty good. The schools. Matt and I love talking about the global supply chain challenges out there from the ships stuck at sea to the ports overloaded uh, and how it impacts different industries. Today we're going to take a, a, a view of that from the world of the fashion industry and we can do that with Ronan Samuel, CEO of Cornet Digital, is a publicly traded company on the NASDAQ. KRNT is the symbol. Ronan, thanks so much for joining us here. Just Let's just start out and just refresh our memory. What do you guys do at Cornet Digital?
4: Yeah, first of all, uh, it's great to be here with all of you, and uh, what is uh, Cornet Digital is doing is actually transforming uh, the textile industry and the fashion industry uh, to on-demand sustainable production and changing totally the supply chain of this industry.
1: So um, how are you doing that right now as we uh, run into these incredible supply chain uh, woes and chip shortages? How much more difficult is it?
2: Yeah.
4: So, as you know, um, the supply chain uh, is, is broken, and specifically the supply chain for the fashion industry is, is, is totally broken. Um, the industry used to produce in large quantities in China, in Bangladesh, shipping it overseas, uh, and planning everything 18 months in, in advance, um, and trying to focus what the consumer and people will consume in 18 months from now, which is impossible. In today's world, where everything is moving digital and the consumer would like to get things on demand and the Generation Z would like to be unique, it's almost impossible to focus. And what we see today is that 30% of, the, of everything that's being produced is actually being thrown away. This industry is the second most polluted industry and one of the main reasons is the overproductions that are being made in China and by Bangladesh. What CoNet is driving is a fully different supply chain. Actually, what we are enabling is the consumer to order what they want in e-commerce, in any marketplace, um, any product they would like. The products exist virtually, does not exist, uh, was not produced yet, and only once the consumer order the product only then it goes to production and being delivered to the consumer within 48 hours to his house. So this is the entire system is actually creating the new operating system uh, for uh, the fashion industry and for the textile
0: industry. So Ronan, you know, for pretty much anywhere around the world, you look at a piece of clothing and you look at the tag and it is made in China. And for a lot of industries, you know, we've heard about the the move to kind of onshore some production, is that also an issue for the fashion industry? If I look at a tag, will I see made in the USA or made in Italy more going forward, do you think?
4: Yes. Actually, what we see today is a move to onshore and new production. We see massive move. brands, fashion brands cannot anymore trust the supply chains that being produced in China. Uh, and they are moving onshore, we see production moving into U.S. Definitely with the trends of selling through the e-commerce, through the um, um, yeah uh, 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 digital uh, commerce, um, you have to change the supply chain. Um, and digital commerce enables the brand actually – to provide endless amount of products, endless amount of, of design, which they don't need to carry. They don't need mm. to produce it in advance. And and by that, enabling the consumer to choose what they want, when they want, and to produce exactly what the consumer needs without waste, because it's being produced after the consumer placed the order.
1: Ronan, you're not just uh, running Cornet, I mean, um, in terms of your your knowledge base, you also got your MBA at Northwestern. Paul tells me it's one of the best business schools in the world. And I, I just wonder about the, considering the current news, the headlines of Russia and Ukraine, um, we know that the economy in that part of the world is incredibly poor. Are they active in the global supply chain? Does that... You know, I'm not asking if your specific business now uh, has needs there, but how much of a wrench does that throw into uh, manufacturing globally?
4: So Russia is, is a big uh, a capital for fashion, um, but it's mainly for the local market. Um, so I do not uh, foresee impact on the global fashion world due to this uh, a potential war that uh, uh, happening right now uh, for but definitely going to be an impact uh, for the local market in russia and ukraine
1: yeah i figured um you know there probably wasn't a huge impact on the global supply chain but i thought if we're going to ask anybody it would be mm-hmm. Yeah, let me ask this guy who went to the <laughs> kellogg school <Yes>. of business <laughs> absolutely ronan what what aircraft did you fly in the israeli air force
4: um i flew apache helicopter oh that's cool
0: <laughs> that, that could be fun that, <laughs> that just fun. gives them yeah, uh, uh, your
1: man card has automatically <laughs> <Yes>. been gold-plated <laughs> exactly that is incredible <laughs> uh, um all right so just getting back to quickly um the the business and the demand i wonder about from Cornet. um what kind of demand growth are you seeing as we come out of this pandemic
4: yeah, so we just uh, finished uh, 2021, it was a record year for us, of course. Uh, we finished the year with uh, more than 65% growth year over year. Q4 was very strong. Yep. Usually the peak season is in Q4, where we saw many new customers entering. Mm, right. And also our existing customers, some big uh, brands are yep. growing very, very fast.
0: All right, Ronan, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Ronan Samuel, CEO of Cornet Digital, talking about the apparel space. All right, let's switch the page here, talk a little bit of satellites. Uh, You know, I've been reading stories that there's a lot of satellites in the sky, and the risk is they start crashing into each other. I'm not sure if that's a big issue, but let's talk satellites with Emiliano Cargimon, CEO and founder of Satellogic. That is a Nasdaq traded stock. S-A-T-L. I think it was a SPAC situation earlier in the year. Uh, Emiliano, thanks so much for joining us here. I'd love for you to take uh, just give us a quick overview of of Satellogic. What, what are you guys up to?
5: Thanks for having me. Uh, great to be here. So we are a uh, we're a satellite company, as like you say. We build high resolution imaging satellites. So our satellites basically take very detailed pictures of what's happening on Earth. We have seventeen. Around the planet today, we have the ability to image any point on the planet four times per day today, and we're launching over 200 satellites in the next few years to remap. It will give us the ability to remap the entire surface of the planet, every square foot of the surface of Earth, every single day, so that we can deliver this data to improve decision-making for governments and for every corporation around the world, financial institutions, and so on.
1: What uh? What's the story with the price? Because I see the stock up at twelve thirty three in the middle of January, and now you're down at five seventy nine. What happened there?
5: Well, the uh, the SPAC market in general, I think, has a lot of volatility. Uh, where you know we we came on, uh, we started listing and SPAC uh, uh, earlier this year uh, after announcing a transaction with Liberty Strategic Capital to fully fund more business. And uh you know more than looking at the day-to-day of the stock, they were looking down and going to execute. But we think you know the current price of the stock is significantly undervalued. So we recently announced the uh, uh, stock uh, repurchase program uh, because we just think the you know current uh, value that's the current value for, uh, represent value. By
1: th- by the way, in terms of um, what clients do with your data. Um who 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 wants these pictures and what are they using them for?
5: Today the largest customers are governments around the world. So the US government and US allies around the world that want to see what's happening. So defense and intelligence purposes you were seeing today on the use the situation in, in Ukraine. Um uh, or customers will use the data to see what's happening there every single day, several times
1: per day. How close can you uh, so get? Fish- Is this like uh a- like a Jason Bourne situation, where like the NSA can can watch me passing someone, uh, you know, the micro tape in uh, Washington Square Park.
5: No, that's still in the movies, right? We get to around seventy centimeters of resolution, which means you know each pixel in our image is around seventy centimeters, or you know, uh, two feet on um, on the side. Uh, that basically means we can see small vehicles, uh, we can see uh, large vehicles, we can see movement. Uh, We can see individual trees in a plantation, for example. Uh, We can see individual buildings, of course, that sort of thing. But it doesn't get to the point where you can see, you know, read the uh, license plate on a car. Uh,
0: So, Emiliano, I guess, you know, over the last couple of weeks as we watch the uh, newscast, we're seeing a lot of satellite imagery of military installations in Ukraine on the border and all that type of stuff. Is that something, is that a part of the market, the military application that your company looks at?
5: That has been the market for its observation up until now. And we are changing that in a way because our satellites have 100 times better unit economics. We can build the satellites for less than a million dollars. We can put them in orbit, and they get to collect data continuously in very high resolution. Because of this 100 times better unit economics than any other satellite company has, we are now in a position to change this and make it so that everybody can afford it. So every financial institution, every insurance company, every agricultural company... They can all start affording now to okay. get this data that up until now only government. Right. right. So if you're a small farmer and you want to see, you know, what's happening in your fields or, or, or what's happening with your suppliers, right? Now you can afford that. You know, the same way that the US government can go and look at what's happening on the other side of.
0: of all right, the, that's really interesting stuff. Emiliano Cardamone, CEO and founder of Satalogic, uh, fascinating story. The company just came public via yes, SPAC.